Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right in the incredible, wonderful world of sobriety. And this morning, we have an amazing sober warrior, and she's been with us here before. We have Molly, a.k.a. from IAS, 10 seconds at a time. Good morning, Molly. Good morning, Drifter. We're up bright and early. I woke up thinking, what is that? Good golly, Miss Molly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. My name is fun like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Anyway, this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about resetting. Mm-hmm. And why don't you go ahead and kick this off and share your experience? Yeah, I'll just kind of state some facts and numbers here. So I joined IAS in June of 2020, reset pretty consistently for six months. And then November 8th, 2020 was my sober date until about the end of September this past year. I had over a thousand days. I was approaching three years and no matter how much sober time you have, I mean, really even in my grand scheme of things, three years isn't that long. I was pretty much addicted from the time I was 25 onward and I'm 35 now. So it's a pretty small chunk of my life in comparison to time I was addicted. Still, I'm addicted. (laughs) But, But yeah, I just, I wanted to come and talk about how a reset can happen and it, and for me it was more than one it wasn't just like one night of drinking and then I went straight back to being sober again it was actually like a month of experimenting with various drinking things again nothing terrible happened which is one of those excuses I kept using but yeah I just I think it could be valuable because I've heard from a lot of other people who reached a certain point that the thoughts can creep back in. And in analyzing why I let those thoughts get to me, maybe someone else can relate to what I was feeling and maybe not actually go back like I did. So let's go through this. You're basically on my sober cruise, June 2nd, 2020, where I finally was able to jump on that train and stay sober. But all that time in through the I Am Sober app, you were right there and we followed each other. Yep. And you finally got your feet underneath. You've really been involved in the sober communities, going to these events, these sober meetups. I don't know even how many sober people <laughs> that you've met, right? And you've been so involved with all of this. And even with all of that, you've had these thoughts creep in. So just kind of run us through how all of that progressed. Yeah. So I think the thing for me, and mind you, as I'm saying this, this is all still fresh and you're going to hear a lot of like stream of consciousness stuff because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. (laughs) Ultimately, the number one thing that I keep coming back to and that I was talking to a friend last night about it, too, is when I first got sober, I did it because I felt terrible, like physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, like basically every aspect of my life when I first 
tried to quit drinking was in shambles. I mean, I still, I wasn't homeless. I hadn't gone to jail like that. I hadn't gone to that extreme, but I mean, I had suicidal thoughts. I was depressed. It was a really dark time in my life, right? As it is for many of us when we first try and quit drinking. And over those almost three years of sobriety that I had, I did an incredibly large amount of self-work. Like you said, I mean, I was involved in this community. I mean, I had I had met people in real life. I drove to Canada to meet a friend there. I drove all over the country. Like I travel for work, so that helps. Like in every city that I went to, I would message my sober crew and be like, who's here? Who can I meet up with? And then I met you, Drifter, in Moab. And at Asheville, I met a bunch of people there and like all these meetups we had. And so what was different this time is I was at a place in my life where I felt so good. I felt really good. And I mean, I got married, right? I got married in June of 2022. My husband is like incredibly supportive of me. We had to work through some stuff and just like any marriage, but we'd gotten to this point in the last six months where everything had just fallen into place and we felt so good about our lives, about our future. Like like financially I had been saving money. I'd been doing improvements to my house. Like all of this stuff was going completely right in my life. And I didn't expect that feeling good would be a trigger for drinking again. Because in my mind, I was like, I only want this because I'm covering up some sort of terrible trauma and emotion, which is really why I drank in the first place was because I hadn't dealt with a bunch of terrible stuff in my head. Right. But I'd gotten therapy now. I'd done all this talking and writing and journaling and voice memos to myself and all the things you're supposed to do. Meditation, exercise, losing 50 pounds, getting my labs back. and I did all the good stuff. And I wasn't prepared for how feeling good can make your addict voice say, you can handle this now. Because my thought process was, if I'm no longer this hot mess that is is covered in trauma and losing my mind and blah, 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 then maybe it'll be different this time. That that was kind of the final thought. Plus, was there I, like any like nagging too, like any nagging feelings, FOMO, like you were missing out on something and you just there was something in you that wanted to go for it again? To test that yes for sure my circumstances too like i said because i travel for work i'm placed into these new environments every three to six months with a whole different crew of people so i'm constantly adjusting to everyone around me in terms of my coworkers, in terms of my environment and i mean i don't get a choice in i know where i'm going but i don't know who i'm working with and the place that I was for the last six months turned out to be, I mean, it was a tourist city, so it was very out pro-alcohol. I actually wrote a post on IAS once because there were some of my coworkers were, had brought it to work. Like, they weren't drinking it at work, but they brought it to work because they were going to leave and go straight to a party. 
And they were like comparing alcohol to each other. And that was the first time I'd ever seen someone bring alcohol to work. And it it was this slow chipping away because every time I went out for dinner, like my husband and I celebrated our one year anniversary there. And it's just everywhere you went, it was alcohol. And I'm not saying that's any excuse. Like I could have been way more involved in the community. I could have done a million things other than go back to drinking, right? Ultimately, at the end of the day, no matter what my circumstances are, it's my choice. Well, Molly, I have to say that you have been involved in the community. I don't really remember any gaps of you like just disappearing. And it just, it seems like even through this reset, you were still connected with us, right? I was trying. Yeah. Ultimately, even while I was going back and and trying to drink for that month or so, I knew that it had to end at some point. I knew that there, there had to be a stop button because one thing that, I mean, I literally told this to like hundreds of people on the app that I tried to support. And even in meetings and in person and stuff, it's a progressive thing. It's by nature, alcohol is addictive. If you drink it consistently, chemically, your brain changes and you're going to want more over time. Like I understood this (laughs) on a molecular, like physical, spiritual level. So I guess that's another reason maybe I made it okay in my head was that I knew that it was going to be temporary. But what I didn't expect was how quickly my brain went from one or two a night is fine to like, we're going to black out again. So bring us into that first, the first drink, the mindset going into that where you compromised the first time. So I actually wrote a, like a huge post about it and I thought about it and the the funny thing is that I talked to my husband I talked to several members of my family who had been negatively affected by my drinking before and I had this two-day period of preparation because I'd been thinking about it for a long time and I probably spent a cumulative amount of four or five hours on the phone with people talking through why I was going to drink again right and ultimately my family who are not addicts by the way they're like normies they were swayed by my logic because I can be very convincing as can my addict voice and I was like I feel good now I don't think anything bad is going to happen I just want to try this and see what happens and see if it's different this time and they I had their blessing which looking back is probably one of the reasons where I went wrong because the one thing I didn't talk about this with was someone else who was sober (laughs) and they probably would have told me something very different than like my supportive family who just wants the best for me but doesn't really understand recovery so I started out and I bought something that I knew I hated which is vodka (laughs) I've never been able to like vodka I don't know and I did that intentionally because I was like, I, I don't want to like this. I want to just do it and get it over with and get it out of my system and then be done. Well, it worked for a little while, but like it, it opened a door. What does a little while mean? About two weeks. I, I had my experiment. And then t- I was sober for two weeks after that because I didn't really want. Anything. Oh, which opened to other mindset like oh 
I can do mm-hmm. this. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah. And I stopped at two drinks each time. I was like, oh, I'm being a normal person. Look at me go. <laughs> but what it did was like it put this little voice in the back of my head where I didn't deal with it. I didn't tell anyone that I had the voice. I actually was putting on this front of look how well I handled this. Like I did this experiment. I handled it great. It was a bunch of ego. It was a bunch of like it it was a bunch of my attic voice basically turning into um, someone told me on the app. They were like, it can play therapist. It can play uh, best friend. It can play all of these things. And that's what it did. It played so it it turned into a voice that was like saying this is a good idea because it's being supportive of me. Like a friend does. Oh yeah, like you can do anything, Molly. You're gonna be great at this. Everything's gonna be fine. And that's what my attic voice was doing. And I had real life people telling me that it would be fine too. It's the just, real life people that you kind of like manipulated it into thinking like you that you could handle this those people because i'm sure it wasn't people that were sober like you said yes it was my perfectly normal unaware family i mean my family is 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 aware of the fact that i've gone through recovery and they were aware that i was sober but there's certain things that like people who are normal drinkers or have never been addicts don't really comprehend and so I think part of my addict brain knew that if I talked to them it was going to have a different impact because the sober friend would have called me out on my bullshit and I didn't want to be called out on my bullshit like no you would plan this Molly no it's true and it was all it was because I had I let FOMO come back in. That was one thing. My circumstances around me, like I said, were, I mean, I went out to hang out with these people that I worked with and I was the only one always not drinking. I'm actually pretty sure I didn't get invited to a bachelorette party because I was openly sober. Everyone was like the next day talking about how hungover they were. Like it was on a Sunday and we all came back to work on a Monday and Four out of five of my coworkers were all hungover. And I don't know, like it, 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 FOMO is real. So you kind of probably felt left out because you weren't invited because you didn't drink. And I mean, there's one thing to be said about doing travel work. As much as I enjoy it and it enhances my life, it leaves you very kind of unstable because you don't have a home base of people that are around you it's you don't you don't have roots where I mean I've traveled with my husband like he's the only person that comes with me but but I've been doing that for two years and I think up until that point it was just a slow steady weakening of my resolve because every everyone around me I I hadn't met a single sober person at work or around me um, in that entire time. Well, let's talk about the things that you were usually doing, like weeding your thoughts out. Had you stopped addressing your thoughts, thinking through your thoughts? If you got a thought about drinking, were you running with that thought? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. I feel like it was just like I snapped. I remember very vividly having a day not long before all of this started in, in late September where I wrote a post on the app. I talked to a few people 
um, because I was like, I had come really close to just saying, fuck it and like going to drink again. I didn't. But I mean, even then I was trying. I think I another thing, too, that I've heard this in talking to people about what I've, what happened to me, it's called sobriety fatigue. Like you even mentioned yeah. that. It, I mean, it's true. Like sobriety is wonderful and life changing and like beautiful and gives you all of these amazing things. But it is hard. It is hard work, too. And I guess the question would have been, were you white knuckling through these moments? It turned into that. Like I, I vividly remember thinking that I have layers of protection when it comes to my sobriety. Like when I'm doing all the work and I'm taking care of myself properly and I'm not overloading myself with so non-sober culture, I don't even think about drinking. Drinking actually repulses me, the idea of it. Why would I do that? But it was a slow stripping away of those layers. And at times I either didn't acknowledge it or I ignored it or I didn't realize it at all until I had this pre-planned experiment, right? And like, like I said, after the experiment, two weeks went by. And then my husband and I were grocery shopping and he's a normie drinker. And he was buying his normie drinks. He drinks these like fruity things because he doesn't like things that taste bad. But he just gets like the 5% kind of cans of things. And out of nowhere, just said, I would like some of those too. And he didn't object. No one around me objected. It's like the world went on. And that started the whole month of experimenting basically. And it was just, it was that one split second decision. And I, I still, to this day, couldn't really tell you like what snapped in my brain that day. It was a cumulative, it was a cumulative effect of a bunch of things, but it was just, it was as easy as that. It was just like, I'm grocery shopping. Everything's fine. I'm going to take those. It was so easy. Going right back onto autopilot, huh? I didn't even want to call it a reset. I had this like attachment to my sober time and losing that was like a grieving process a little bit ultimately though what I had to remember and what I was reminded by I got my ego checked several times is that there is no better day than another day like that all sober days are important right whether it's day 5,000 or day zero it's they're all equally important and I was also afraid too because you said earlier how involved I am in the community of what people would think I, I personally hadn't thought this or experienced this but I've heard from other people who were like pillars of our community who were people who'd had a lot of time and when they reset it sent like shockwaves through the community and people were like how did this happen oh my gosh and it was just, I didn't want that to be, I didn't want like someone else to have consequences because of my actions either. That was the other thing is I didn't want to be like, well, if, if she can't stay sober, then I can't. Because there are people who, when you are around long enough, they, they follow you, they listen to you, they like your advice, they look up to you and yada yada. And I didn't want to be that person who caused anyone else to feel hopeless 
And then yeah. you have the guilt and shame that alcohol just naturally brings with it on top of that. Yeah, that was the most fascinating part of it because I, I'm at a point now outside, even right now, even talking about this, I fiercely love myself, right? I went from this person who couldn't stand looking at themselves in the mirror to someone who thinks they deserve to be treated like a queen. And I believe that in my head. And I, because I did a bunch of work and, um, despite that every morning that I would wake up having drank the day before, I still could not knock that feeling of like grossness either because it was physical, like just from the physical effects of alcohol or ultimately what it was knowing that I could be better. Even if nothing bad happened, even if I wasn't embarrassed, even if I didn't drunk call or text anyone or do anything stupid, it was just the fact that I knew I wasn't living my best life because I knew what my best life was. Did you feel like you betrayed yourself? I don't know about betrayed. Betrayal is a really strong word. It's, it's hard to describe. I All I knew was that it, it was like inherently against my new set of principles okay do you feel like you let yourself down not that either maybe okay maybe betrayal is is more betrayal kind of implies malicious intent to me and i didn't have malicious intent against myself i didn't go into this wanting to knock myself down or anything let's just say disappointed I disappointed okay. myself. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know better and I knew that I knew better and I knew lots of things. I knew I had a whole toolbox that I was very good at using, very good at using. And I just ignored it completely because I I wanted what I wanted and I was going to do it regardless. And I did. And the one thing that I don't, have is a lot of guilt and shame now because I immediately recognized how quickly things were spiraling into a bad place like with my mental health with my physical health like it's because after almost three years of not drinking your tolerance is very different than when you're drinking every day so <laughs> my brain was still trying to drink like I was an addict right and that didn't work very well <laughs> I had much harsher after effects from way less like my hangovers would come after two to three drinks whereas before it would take like a bottle and a half of wine so I just was constantly feeling like garbage and I hated it and which because a, a pillar of my recovery is uh, exercise I mean I'm not an athlete by any means I don't even run I just I walk in nature. That's that's how I keep myself sane is just taking daily walks outside. And you you don't want to do that when you're hungover. So I would miss days of exercise and then I wouldn't eat great because I you want different food when you're drunk. You don't want to eat like salads and vegetables. You want like burgers and pizza and stuff like that. So what came along with it was this destruction of my lifestyle completely like not just from not just the drinking itself but I didn't do all the things that kept me feeling good 
about myself because that's just the natural progression. It makes you feel like garbage. When you feel like garbage, you don't want to do anything. When you don't do anything, you feel like more garbage. And I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out the word to use, how you felt like garbage. And it was disappointment. And you think it was some depression? Yes. I think I've, in doing this and in re-engaging with community and just full-on admitting what has gone on in my thought processes and, and bringing them out into the light for everyone here, it's halted it. If I had been keeping this myself, and because I've talked to people who have had years, 10 years of sobriety and then have gone back to drinking and it took them years to get back. And I didn't want to be like, I didn't want that to be my life again. So I knew I needed to just stop listening to this voice that told me it was okay. Because my attic voice had been so quiet for so long that I had forgotten what it sounded like. It masqueraded as this thing that was like, you can do anything, Molly, which I'd been telling myself and which I'd been doing for a while. But what I didn't know was that it was actually, it was my added voice. It had just changed form. Cunning, baffling, powerful, right? You're waking up. You're seeing your life not changing. You want to get out of this cycle. Was it a struggle? Yeah. I mean, I'm still kind of in it. Honestly, this is only day three. I know what it takes. I mean, before before I finally found my feet in November 2020 I reset like I said all the time and so I really just need to get I know past day 10 is an important day I know day 21 is even more of an important day so it's just it's a matter of getting it all out of my system again because it's not just easy as you wake up the next day and you're done drinking like it takes weeks for your body to renormalize I know that um yeah, I'm prepared for there's going to be maybe a ride of emotions coming here soon. There's going to be a lot of maybe cravings. So since is, you've opened up, you've reset again, basically. Since November 8th, yes. I went to a concert with my husband and I didn't listen to myself. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go because I knew I was fragile and I knew concerts like this one, everyone's going to be drinking. And uh, I went there and had some drinks and didn't. It, I was still in that mode that everything was going to be fine. But I'd already been talking to people about this. This is a process. I'd already been reengaging. I'd already been saying this has to stop. But. Yeah, it just it was something I just should have said no to in the first place because I'm kind of in too fragile of a place to be surrounded by people with booze right now. And I've since told my husband, I'm like, we can't have it in the house right now. And he's like, that's fine. Whatever you need. Because he's one of those people who can just not drink like a normal person. <laughs> we got to get you using your sober tools again to yeah. where when you you get in any of these situations that Instead of going for the drink, you're going for your sober tool. Right. Yep. And it's for me uh, right now, it's all about understanding that my addict voice is masquerading itself as a cheerleader and a friend rather than someone who hates themselves. Because that 
it's so strange because like before my addict voice was like you're a piece of shit you should just drink you just you don't deserve anything good in the world and it is wild to now hear your addict voice saying you're amazing you can do anything you can do this you can drink it's actually changed tactics on you hasn't it yeah it's a complete 180 and i was not prepared for any of it so that's why i'm here (laughs) i didn't realize that you're at day three i thought you had it like a couple weeks but i'm glad that we're here molly Mm -hmm. because this is fresh and raw and for the other people that are where you are now you know that whatever you're going through it's okay because today is the day that matters like you said right yeah what are your plans on how to break this cycle well just doing meetings consistently again one thing that was really important to me at last time which i know worked was having like a friend who's more or less your eject button if i'm in the place i in the very first time the first go around it was it came down to a point where i had gone to an old gas station where I used to buy beer all the time and I had gone there with the express intent of buying beer again and I was in the parking lot and I was like wrestling with myself I wanted to go inside and buy some but I also knew that I shouldn't so I got out my phone and I messaged this friend and I basically just said I want to drink but I know I need I know I shouldn't can you talk me out of it and I basically re-enlisted the help of a friend again And now I have that person because the one thing that I'm still battling with myself and I probably forever will is I hate bothering people. I it's an ego thing. I want to do everything myself. I feel like I'm burdening people when I'm asking for help. Even after three years in a sober community, that's still something I'm trying to get over. So now I have that. I've I have a person that I can message anytime. I have several people really. I know that there's any number of people in this community that are here for me including Um, me okay because it's like we need to circle our wagons around you too you're our sober sister and it's difficult when you open that fucking door and i'm one of those people molly i was sober nine years i compromised and it took me nine years to get sober Mm -hmm. and it's a horrible place to be well you've been there where it consumes you so much how about are you getting back to the basics about posting and getting involved like that too yeah, I'm hosting meetings once a week now. So I I don't want to show up to every meeting that I'm hosting having reset. <laughs> That's which even if I did, I know that I would be surrounded with love. That's not the point. It the point is that it's my way of holding myself accountable. I also I'm going to start setting goals for myself in terms of exercise again because that worked really well for me in the beginning like I when I find that when I I do my routine of taking care of myself if I'm constantly eating well if I'm constantly doing all the right things for my body then destroying it with alcohol is less appealing I'm just really going to start focusing on all of that again I remember in the beginning, I made posts about how I was meal prepping vegetables and I was, I got an air fryer and I dried out green beans and squash and all this stuff. And it's just re readjusting my time and putting my time back into things that serve me 
and and yeah, and asking for help when necessary. Because one thing that now that I've acknowledged it, which is my attic voice is pretending to be my best friend. I know I know to watch out for that now because I didn't understand that before. So that's something that I'm aware of that has changed. And I know that, yeah, I just, I know that this can't keep going because it's not going to go anywhere good if I let it. What process do you have when the attic boy starts talking to you? How do you think through all that? Well, when I hear it, I, the first thing I have to do is name it. It's what is that like awareness, clarify, turnaround, act. Action, yeah. Aware of it. You have to understand why you're feeling it, which is still new for me, like I said, because when you're feeling awful and you hate yourself, it's really easy to call out thoughts about being unkind to yourself, right? It's a whole different ballgame for me now because the thoughts are masquerading as good ideas. That's the strange thing and and things that are good for me. So I'm going to have to do a whole mindset shift again about there's a higher thing than what I think. There's a higher principle than what I think is a good idea. There's something I have to hold myself to even when I don't want. I also remember back before I I called it the whiny toddler voice because there gets to be a point when you when your attic voice wants you to drink at least mine and you keep telling it no it goes off like a whiny toddler it's, but I wanna I wanna do this like why can't I do this and so I'm preparing myself for the whiny toddler voice because it's gonna come and it's gonna be loud and I'm just gonna talk through it with people gonna write about it gonna go to meetings about it all of the things that i've done before it's just yeah because i can't let this get back to the point again where where i do hate myself because it's gonna get there and i've done too much work and i like myself too much for it to go back i'm still using act to this day i'm still thinking through my thoughts because my Attic voice, and just so everybody knows that doesn't know a lot about our brains, we have two thinking systems. We have the conscious and the subconscious, and that attic voice lives in the subconscious, and it's a neural pathway that's entrenched, and we've developed it over a lot of years. It doesn't die. We can't just get a lobotomy and have it like drilled out of our heads. It stays there, and it comes back, and then it tricks us like it has you, Molly where it's changed its tactics. So now we know that your voice has a new tactic and it's convincing you. And I would say to you, start calling that voice out. Even if you got to speak out loud, oh no, I know who the fuck you are. Mm -hmm. You're not getting me today. Oh no, I'm not going to drive over to that gas station where I used to be. You're trying to set me up and you're romanticizing me and you're playing all these tricks. And literally... I talk to my own brain. I'm really good at it with like alcohol, but mm -hmm. I'm really bad about it with Lay's potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that with Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> ben and Jerry's is my thing. <laughs> but I know for a fact, and it's because where I went this last time, 
if I open up that door, I don't know if I can close it again. And you're in a position where we need to get that door closed again before it, it consumes you all over. And the cool thing with you, Molly, and we've talked about this, you have the tools and we've talked about the hiker, right? On the Appalachian trail that gets lost, that has the tools and they know how to get back on the trail. And you're that hiker. Yeah, because I really liked that when you told me that. Because you just learn from it. You're like, oh, well, I, sh I should have taken this turn when this turn happened. And But you just kind of realize you're lost and turn around and find your way back with your tools. You just don't keep wandering off into the woods aimlessly until you until you're like eaten by a bear or something. Yeah, I've, I'm trying to approach all of this without shame, because for me, at least, shame was the one thing that kept me in the addiction cycle for close to 10 years. It, so it's a really weird balance right now because I do have to admit that I have done things, I won't say wrong, but I could have done them better. But I also have to not beat myself up about it. So it's a very fine line between disciplining yourself and not treating yourself like, like you're a failure. And that's something else that we want to let people know that there is no shame in all of this. It's not shameful. These are learning experiences that sometimes we just have to go through, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. the stigma is that there's shame. And that's something that we're trying to break. Get back on the sober train and start living your life. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it occurs to me too in all of this that um, like I'm only 35 and I spent the majority of my twenties very addicted, even though I didn't know it. So I know for most of humanity that your twenties are incredibly formative years where you form your personality, you form basically who you're going to be for the rest of your life is solidified throughout your twenties. And when I got sober, I started that process from the beginning because I really didn't have a chance to do it properly <laughs> because it was just this mostly the cycle of addiction when I was that age. I'm remembering, too, that because I spent close to three years actually growing as a person, that there are, of course, going to be new ways that... I think about alcohol and, and, and then I think my addict voice like changes because we're not the same people from year to year, especially in sobriety. We're always changing. We're always growing. So it's one thing I didn't account for was that th my reasons for wanting to drink and or thinking it was okay to drink would change with me because they're totally different than what they were before. And that that was a very strange, weird realization for me. And I would just say to anyone else, just that that little attic voice evolves just like we do, which I didn't really understand. <laughs> here I am. Well, here you are. And we get to circle our wagons around you, Molly. And then please reach out because you're right back in the trenches right now, literally. It, it can be difficult to get out of, but it's rebuilding that mindset 
and just huge awareness. And it takes a lot of effort, right? Mm -hmm. Especially to get off automatic pilot. Look how fast this has evolved back into what it was where you just go to the store with your husband and boom, I want one of those. And you go into like autopilot mode. So today, you have today. And, mm-hmm. to, and today, if anything is going on, you give me a call or your accountability partner or any of us. How about like an IAS? Are you back in there posting much? I haven't for a few days, but... Yeah, I mean, it couldn't hurt to just go back to your daily accountability posts, which is what I did for a long time. Yeah, I was in there so much. My my wife was like, can you get that phone out of your face? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, if it works, then it, it, it's what works. If it works, and, use and, it. And, you know, some of the mes- methods that you use now, you may have to evolve to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I said, it's weird because I don't live at home. I'm, I mean, the idea of going to in-person meetings sounds really wonderful. It's just, it's hard because I, I know I'm going to go and I'm going to be used to the people there and then I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> but um, maybe that would still be better than nothing. Is is just like, hi, I'm only here temporarily, but I could use, I could use the fellowship in person too. So I'm trying to just think of all the possibilities of all the things that can change. Yeah. And also, Molly, you've lost nothing. All the knowledge and everything that you've worked on and built up through this over time is still yours. And you still have a voice. And how cool would it be to sober people in all these different areas that you go into to where you just build this huge, amazing sober tribe, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like, not ever see them again, you may rotate back around and see them or virtually because you have a huge virtual sober tribe around you now too. Yeah. And it just goes to show that it's not a matter of how many people, it's not a matter of the size of your support group or who's in it. It's a matter of using it. You can have the best tools in the world. You can have every resource at your disposal, but if you ignore it, it's not going to serve you. And my addict voice had me convinced that ignoring it was the right thing to do. Sure. Because (laughs) it just wants a fucking drink and it Mm -hmm. just doesn't give a shit. That's it doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I I had to go through this process because before I, I was so unaware of my emotions that I didn't I was drinking to hide from things, right? That's, I was drinking to numb this, or I was stressed out and I was going to numb this with this, right? And that wasn't the case this time at all, which is another reason why it was so different because I didn't feel overwhelmed. I didn't feel like I had to hide from anything. What it came down to is that I'm a dumb human and alcohol feels good. That's really, that's it. It's, just this thing that's everywhere and it's an instant way to turn your brain off and you don't sometimes there isn't this big huge complex emotional thing behind it sometimes you're just wanting to seek pleasure that's easy and even to your own destruction well i get that sometimes too molly where i man i would just wish i could stop and just tune everything out 
some people can do that, but for us, it leads us down to a very bad road that is yep. horrible. This is what I would like you to do, Molly. I would like you to like really pay attention what's going on, what you're feeling, and then let's follow you. Let's get with you again on some of these milestones as you're hitting them. Then you can give some people some tools as they're going through it. And because we have other people that have re reset too. And the whole thing is getting you out of it. So if you would like, I would love to do that with you. Just really pay attention to what's going on and, and let's talk about it again. Yeah, I would love that too. Sure. Thank you for <laughs> convincing me to do this at bright and early in the morning. I, <laughs> I know. Well, Molly, you're part of our sober crew. And when you end up in the lion's den, we want to jump in there with you and try to it's like, fuck that attic voice, man. Let's kick its ass and not let it kick your ass anymore. You have huge support out here, so use us. Yeah, that's the trick now is just acknowledging what I have and not ignoring it. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you, you got tons and tons of love out here. Molly, <laughs> thank you so much. And then we'll get back with you again and see how things are going with you. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. Boom.